Well, welcome tonight to our evening service. Did you have a good afternoon? Take a nap? Did you snore and wake yourself up? How many did that? Yeah. <laughs> when you get that, that kind of shock awake where you're just like all of a sudden you hear this <laughs> like that and you're like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> you look around, yeah, and you go, oh, that's me. <clears throat> so... Praise the Lord for, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what, uh, there was a little saying that uh, I saw and it said uh, that uh, when Elijah became depressed and um, had some anxiety, uh, the Lord uh, had made him a snack and had him take a nap. And said that, <laughs> said, you know, it's going back to kindergarten Taking a, taking a, you know, having a snack and having a nap is like, you know, that's a godly thing to do. That's what God, and, and I was just sitting there going, man, that's like, you know, way out of context, but I'll take it. So, but uh, if you will, then you're, this evening, turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of uh, Psalms. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Psalm chapter 19. I mean, normally we kind of do some stuff with First uh, John, uh, sometimes on the Sunday evening services, but... Uh, you know, th- this one's been, uh, kind of rattling around in my brain. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always great when, um, when you, you see individuals take, uh, parts of the Bible and, uh, make them into songs. Now, obviously Psalms was meant to be sung. And, uh, if you've ever heard some of the Psalms sung in Hebrew, uh, it's, it's pretty beautiful. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I enjoy it. I like it. Um, you know, the, the, regardless of the politics about everything, uh, two of the languages to me that really have this poetic sound about them and the way that they are, especially when they're sung is Hebrew and Arabic languages. Uh, they are meant to be spoken. Um, you know, the Arabic languages were, were, were illiterate languages, meaning that they didn't have a lot of stuff written down. So the different dialects and tribes and uh, nomadic groups all had different ways they talk and different meanings for words, but there still was the commonality of the sounds that they would produce and sounds they would make, and they were very poetic. Um, and they're they're beautiful when they're sung. I actually heard a uh, a, a hymn that was being uh, being sung in Arabic by these Christians, and it was just I mean it was amazingly beautiful. Um, so, you know, it's uh, granted, you can't understand a word they're saying, and it's good if they have subtitles, but <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing stuff to hear. But, uh, you know, in this passage, we actually, uh, you know, there's part of it that, that we sing in our basic program. Uh, and, uh, the other day I heard a song about the last part of this specifically verse 14, and uh this this uh singer she sings it and it's just it's just an amazing thing it's just amazing to hear the word of god put to music and it's just it's just so if you will um uh dare i say uplifting to be able to hear that and it just it just changes the attitude it changes the mind it changes the way we think when we listen to that but in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. 
In them he hath set a tabernacle for the son, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices at a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let not them have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Again, I thank you for this time, opportunity to be here this evening. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, look to uh, this passage in the in Psalms, that uh, Lord, you would just uh, give us the knowledge and the understanding of it. That Lord, we'd understand the structure and how it was created. And again, Lord, how it reveals uh, you and who you are and uh, the need of mankind. Thank you again for those that are here this evening. And I pray, Lord, that we would just truly be blessed by your Holy Spirit as we receive these words that you've given and preserved for us. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in this book, and uh, excuse me, this, this chapter, and it's an amazing thing to see how God structures stuff. Now, you know, one of the people, one of the the, the the challenges that a lot of people have is they go over to the book of Proverbs, and it just looks like a collection of sayings. But it's not. If you notice the structure, and you really have to really dig into it, but Solomon already said that from the beginning. He said they're dark sayings. That doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're dark and morbid or they're sinful in any way. He, he says you've got to search it out. When you're searching for something in the dark, you've got to have some light. You've got to have some, if you will, revelation about what's going on there. So it's just like Proverbs where you look at it and go, man, this just kind of seems like there's a bunch of things put together. You have to look for the patterns. It forces you to look for it. One of the things that I enjoy doing is looking for patterns throughout stuff. I look for patterns in some of the analysis that I do, the work that we do in the legal department. I, I enjoy that. Uh, one time I had a, an interview and they were, they were asking me to be a pharmacy manager and they wanted to put me through as an, you know, the interview process. And, uh, I of course blew the interview. I, 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 I destroyed it because I was being truthful. Um, they asked me, uh, well, if you had a chance to go back to school, uh, what would you do? And I'm sitting there going, you know, I already went to college. Um, yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, I was sitting there thinking, what would I do? What would I do? And I think their answer was that they wanted to see if I was going to go back and uh, get some degree with business or get something with, you know, uh, some healthcare background or whatever it was. And, in, the, in in what they did, because my background was, uh, you know, as far as what I took was a lot of stuff um, that was heavy on um, arts and classes like that. I did towards the end to take some other, you know, healthcare kind classes, microbiology, psychology, not for the purpose of using it correctly. So we'll just, you know, just identify that right out of the bat. But I will say this, they asked me, well, what would you do? What would you do? 
And I was like, well, truthfully, I said, if, if I was going to go back to college, I said, I'd probably go back to become an intelligence analyst and go work for the CIA. And both of them just in this interview, this RVP and another senior RVP just kind of like, okay. <laughs> They're like, they, they, they'd never even heard of that before. Somebody wanted to go do that. But I was like, because you're looking for patterns. That's what intelligence is about. You're looking for patterns. You're looking for, you know, some consistency that you can pull together and create some intelligence and say, hey, this is, this is the pattern. This is the action we need to take. Well, the word of God is kind of like that. You've got to get into the word of God to look for the patterns that are there. Look for what, what God puts together. God is a God of patterns. How do we know that? Because as he talks about it here, day unto day and night unto night. Isn't it a pattern that every day the sun comes up and every day the sun goes down? Isn't there a pattern with the moon and its behaviors and its in the way it looks? There's patterns. There's patterns throughout nature. Leaves, leaves kind of all look the same when they're on the same tree. Some of them have this consistency. I mean, you know, some people it's hard to tell the difference with with all of the the coniferous type of trees that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. Which one's a Doug fir? Which one's a Grand fir? Which one's a Noble fir? I don't know. They're fir. They're pine. I don't know. Who cares, right? You know, it's a tree and it gets all over my yard. That's what I care about. You know, whatever it may be, those are things that we look at and we can see the patterns that God uses in Scripture. Now, this passage is amazing because when you take a look at Psalm chapter 19, it's about a pattern. He talks about the patterns in nature that have words to speak. And the patterns in scripture that do things for man. And then there's a pattern of how man should respond. So we kind of see this, this psalm being brought, you know, kind of, if you will, uh, divided up into three different divisions. Now again, the first two divisions are talking about God and his glory. And in the world today, there are two, if you will, as I've heard said, two volumes of books that God has written. And one we know as the Bible. And that's the one that's mentioned here in the second part in verse 7 and down on through. But the first one that he created, the first volume, the first book, if you will, that he created that had words that would speak and that would say things was nature itself. And if you study it yourself and you look at nature, you cannot help but to walk away and say, there is a God that created this. And and, and man's going to deny it and say, well, that's not necessarily the case. You know, we're going to say whether it's a crystal that hitched, you know, or a life that hitched a ride on the back of crystals or it was an alien life form or something of that nature. Well, anything that they can do to remove God from their knowledge. But the end result is that, that, that anybody that has a, any grain of sense is going to look at this and go, there's no way this happened by chance. That is just not even physically possible. It's not even statistically possible if you look at the patterns of statistics. It, 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 would, be, it would take more than a billion years. It would take more than the billions and billions of years that they talk about. We're talking about, you know, a, a number that is too large to even comprehend to try to give the statistical analysis. You have a better chance, if you will, of 
walking into a convenience store while it's being robbed, buying the winning lotto ticket, and getting struck by lightning at the same time. You have better odds of that happening than having rain on a rock create life. But they don't tell you that. But God tells us what exactly happens with nature. And if you will, look at this first part here in, in, in verses uh, 1 through 6. He talks about uh, specifically nature. And he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You ever just walk, just walk outside and look at the heavens? It, you know, here in Ridgefield, we don't have as much light pollution as other areas of Vancouver. And I remember the first time that we, we moved over to, or to our house, just, you know, looking up at, at the night sky and just seeing more stars. If you've ever gone camping and you have no light pollution, and you just look up, and you look up at the stars, you can see the Milky Way. Remember one time on one of our Manly Man Macho Mountain missions, uh, normally we sleep under trees. This one was a little bit more out in the open, and I remember just looking up and just seeing this just amazing amount of stars. More stars than you can even comprehend. And a- actually seeing what looked and appeared to be a Milky Way. You could just see this string of stars. It was just so beautiful. Just so bright, so glorious. You, and when you realize all of that being put together, all of that being created, all of that being done simply by the word of God. And it says here, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, again, here we have, if you will, a testimony of witness. God has set it up, as he said over there in the book of Romans, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Because if the heavens are going to declare the glory of God, then you have, if you will, a voice that speaks. Over in Luke chapter 19, if you remember when Jesus Christ is coming into Jerusalem, uh, the disciples, uh, his disciples were, were laying down the palm leaves and they were rejoicing and, you know, talking about here comes the king. And the Pharisees got irritated with that. And they basically told Jesus Christ, because they couldn't control the crowd anymore. They couldn't control his disciples. They went to Jesus and said, you need to get a, you need to get a hold of them. Because what they're doing is blasphemous. Well, again, being obtuse as they were, they didn't realize that that was Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. But, you know, here they are telling them that, you know, they need to be quiet. They need to shut up. And Jesus Christ's response is, if they were to be quiet, these rocks would cry out. When's the last time you heard a rock speak? Could you imagine a rock all of a sudden declaring without mouth? Without anything declaring who Jesus Christ is? A rock. The most, if you will, the most common thing known. Rocks get everywhere. You ever you have a rock get stuck in the bottom of your shoe? Get stuck in the tread and you're walking along and you're like, what is that noise? And you hear that. Or get stuck in the tread of the tire of the car and you hear this. You know, constantly, something of that nature. 
happens a lot here in this parking lot. But you know, the, 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 there's, there's, it's a common thing. It's just lying on the ground. It's just doing nothing. The life of a rock is rather mundane. But given the opportunity, if human beings don't speak up, they will. They will. God has made it so that mankind is without any excuse to witness the glory of God and what he has made and what he has done. Again, it's mankind that enters into this mentality of, that's just not possible. That's just not possible. And I dare say the further we get away from creation, the more people try to say, well, that really didn't happen that way. But the problem is, is it did. It did occur exactly as God said. It says here that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Everything that is in the sky, everything that we see in our atmosphere, the way it was constructed. And, you know, here we are, if you will, in a scientific age where we've got a lot of things that we know about what's going on in our atmosphere, what our, how, how our atmosphere is created and what, it, what, it, what it's about. We understand this. We understand that there had to be a design development of that. With each layer being a certain type, each layer being a certain density, having a certain amount of this and a certain amount of that to create exactly what we need here on Earth so that everything doesn't just go off into outer space. That had to be designed. That had to be engineered. The clouds that are in the sky, the, the, the amazing, uh, as Job talks about, the amazing water cycle that exists with clouds and rain and, and rivers and then going into the oceans and creating more clouds and more rain and, and the heat and the, 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 the wind and all of those things, all of it declares, the, 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 as it says here, his handiwork. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we don't, we don't get a lot of thunderstorms. Eh, we get a few. You want to go to thunderstorms and you want to know where, or go to a place where thunderstorms are impressive Go to the Great Plains. Go to the go, to, go go right smack dab in the middle of this country. Go to Kansas. And I lived there in Kansas, and I will tell you this: nothing compares to a Kansas thunderstorm. There's the, the, that thunder just rolls right across that plain. That declares the if you will the glory of God. That shows His handiwork. Even everything from the, the from the tornadoes to the hail to the rain to to the winds to the clouds and sometimes those clouds I mean they just look they look terrifying. The lightning as it comes down as it shoots from one end to the other I mean all of those things it, it, it is amazing. I remember one home, one night we were driving home and it was it was it was an actual electrical storm. There was lightning coming at, like, I mean, constantly. And my mom's driving home and she's freaking out. You know, it's dark and, and, and all you see is all of a sudden you see this all over the place. And she was just like, whoa, what's going on? We're all going to die. You know, that type of mentality. But I'll tell you this, it shows the handiwork of God. 
Man can't create something like that. Man can't create those type of things. On the scale that God does, how big is the firmament? I mean, here he's saying all of these things, they're declaring and showing who God is. His glory, his handiwork. As he says here, day uh, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And he's talking about things that are are being, if you will, declared. And what is being declared? You have during the daytime, if you will, the speech, the lectures of what God is doing. And in the nighttime, there's more knowledge revealed as you look up in the night sky and you realize all the things that he's doing and the movement of the stars and all of that and the moon, all of those things. And it's talking about his word and his speech, his knowledge, what he gives to us. And in the first part of this psalm, he, he here he is, he's going with, if you will, the simplest of the two volumes. You realize that it is easier to understand the, the, the things about the sun and the moon and the stars than it is to understand some of the stuff in this book? That's the easy stuff. And here he is, he's talking about this, and I want you to see what he's talking about day unto day and night unto night. Both of those things both reinforce each other. What is being said during the day is revealed in knowledge in the night. And vice versa. It's made to sink together. You go over to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 1, and one of the things that God does is he, he, he says, let there be light, Right? And then what does he do? He separates light from darkness. He separates light from darkness. You know, just studying the book of First John and studying the parallels to John, uh, the gospel of John, and you see both of them talking about light in the very first chapter uh, of, of those uh, those books. And it's amazing to understand as you start studying light and you start studying darkness. And it says over there in First John that, that in him is light and there is no darkness in him. God is light and there is no darkness in him. Meaning there's no sin, there's no evilness, there's no deception involved. That's not how he operates. He's light. And you think about how great light is. Light is so overpowering against darkness. The Egyptians had darkness come upon them that could be felt. That's scary. That's scary. Light couldn't permeate it. But there is a light that permeates everything. And his name is Jesus. And when we begin to understand that concept of what's going on, it makes a lot of sense. Then when you see here in, if you will, in a messianic prophecy in the first part of this, that nature reveals it. What does nature reveal? It reveals the coming prince. Jesus Christ, the prince of peace. It reveals his death. There was one time we were witnessing to a a young Muslim boy uh, that it was our neighbor. And um, we were talking about the amazing things that God does. 
And one of the things that would be discussed, if you will, in these little Bible studies that he willingly participated in. And, uh, he, uh, he, he would sit there and, and listen to that and he would, he, we'd, you know, discuss those things and say, you realize how much nature reveals who Jesus Christ is in the setting of the sun, the sun going down, the sky turns all these amazing colors of red, doesn't it? Revealing and talking about, if you will, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then when the sun comes up, it looks like this, it looks like the sky is on fire. If you will, as he returns with his saints. Go, go back and read some of those things about how it describes Jesus Christ coming back. And you're like, whoa. That beauty, that glory. And here he is, he's talking about it, and he, he, he mentions it in the last part. But, but if I, if you will, focus back there on verse three, where he says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It doesn't matter what language a person speaks. God reveals it to them. God can supersede a language problem. And he has throughout all of history. He has throughout all of history. And he makes it very well known here. He says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. This is throughout the entire world. I want us to understand that concept. That nature itself is, again, declaring who God is and what he has done. All of this there that we see here, I mean, this is, again, a never-ceasing thing, as we saw with the day unto day and night unto night, repeating over and over and over again. And here he's saying these things that are being said, they're just going to continually be said. There is no place that their voice is not heard. Now again, he is talking about the very nature itself that God created, the creature, if you will, all of these things just declaring who God really is. In, in, in this passage, as you go down in, in verse 4, he says, their line has gone out throughout all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. Again, man is without excuse. With all of what nature is, and people will sit there and worship that creation more than the creator, as it says over in Romans. What we wind up seeing, though, is we wind up seeing that it just speaks volumes about God. The way things are formed, the way animals are developed, the way all of these things that come together, the way that God creates them. It's amazing to just sit down and watch some of this stuff. Have you ever seen some of these? I mean, I've seen stuff, some crazy things on some of these, you know, nature shows and stuff like that. And they're talking about, oh, oh, look at how these things evolved. Oh, don't give me that. You know, here you got this bird all of a sudden, you know, it, you know, it, it, it decides it's, it's going to start, you know, doing this little dance. And it's amazing how these, these birds sit there and do this little dance to get, if you will, their spouse. And they're dancing around and they've got all these, you know, colors and stuff like that. And there's one that shows up and it looks like the, the, the smiley face emoji. God's got a sense of humor. 
Take a look at the platypus. There is no way that thing would have ever evolved. The probability and the statistical probability of that thing evolving is is, is, is probably uh, probably greater than, than 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 rain on a rock creating an amoeba. You think about that. You ever think about the platypus? It's called the duckbill platypus. Why? Because it's got a duckbill. So is the category is it fowl? No, it doesn't have wings. It's got fur. Okay, so it's like a mammal. Yes, but it's also a marsupial. What does that mean? It's, it puts its young in its pouch. Well, not all mammals do that. Well, at the same time, it lives underwater. So it's a fish? No. But it has feet that swim, and it's got claws. And the cool thing, I don't know if you ever knew this, and they, they didn't teach me this in school. Those claws, by the way, are venomous. There's venom sacs hooked up to them so that when they catch prey, they kill it. Yeah, don't go playing with one. That's why you don't see a lot of guys walking around holding those. They'll hold the koalas. The koalas are cute and cuddly. They still got nasty claws, but, you know, at least they'll cling and they kind of look cute. The duckbill platypus, you're like, what is that thing? But all of these things God creates, what does it talk about? It talks about who he is. That duckbill platypus, you give him an opportunity, you know what he's going to talk about? He's going to talk about God. If the rocks are going to talk about God, you don't think every creature is? And he's he's talking about, specifically in the heavens, the things that God has created, day and night, which is how we determine what day and night is, whether the sun is up or whether the sun is down. He says, their line has gone throughout all the earth, their words the end of the world. It means that in this cycle, in this pattern, that it repeats itself over and over and over again, saying the same thing. And you know what? God said the seasons will never end. No, I do not believe in global climate change. I don't believe that it's going to happen the way the scientists talk about. I do believe in global warming. Because the earth is going to burn. Violently, with a fervent heat, as it says. A great noise is going to pass away. He's describing like a nuclear explosion is what it sounds like. Because imagine every single atom all at once releasing its energy. Gone in an instant. Burned up like that. But God said, you know what, as long as long as the earth is around, we're never going to miss a season. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we we have, what, two seasons? <laughs> rain and more rain. <laughs> it's what it feels like sometimes. And, you know, the sun comes out, we don't know what to do with ourselves. We run around in a panic. You know, a dusting of snow occurs and people just freak out and it's the end of the world. You know, it, it's it's Pacific Northwest. We're unique that way. But, you know, God created this, and this is one of the most beautiful parts of the country. There's people that have come over, people that have come over from New York and come to this area, and they go, there is nothing like this in New York. There's nothing like this in the Northeast. Now, the Northeast has got its own beauty. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. 
But people come over here and they come around in the wintertime and they're like, why is everything still green? Don't you guys ever die around here? No. No, we just grow moss. That's what we do. We just get more green. Your cars get green. You leave your car outside, what happens? It becomes green. I don't care what color the car was originally, it becomes green. And it's beautiful to think that God creates all of those things. And all of it reveals who he is. But here he's talking about the, 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 the ends of the world have heard the words that the heavens have declared. They speak. They speak. And then here he talks about the sun. He says he said in the, uh, he had set a tabernacle for the sun. And he says, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Well, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom. We clearly understand that from Scripture over and over and over again. From the Gospels to other portions of Scripture throughout, he's the bridegroom. And what do we find here? He's talking about the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and this is specifically the Son. One of the greatest testimonies of witness ever created is the Son itself. Now, interestingly, God created light before he ever created the Son. So here's this son, and he describes it as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and he says, as a strong man to run a race. The power behind it. Do you realize that if we could harness the power of the sun and what's going on there, we would never have to worry about energy ever again? Not in our lifetimes. Not in 10,000 lifetimes. And by the way, our sun is really small compared to some of the other ones that are out there. Some of the other ones out there, some of those big, you know, blue star giants. Ooh, our sun looks like a little speck compared to it. Looks like one of those little, you know, those little dots that you put on top of a, 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 a cookie, those little, you know, sprinkles you put on. Those little dots, it looks like that compared to like a giant wrecking ball. Those things are out there. And here he's saying that this is the description of Jesus Christ and who he is. It's declared in nature. It's declared in nature. He says, is going forth from the heaven, uh, from the end of heaven, uh, his circuits unto the end of it. There is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Nothing escapes the heat, the sun, sun's heat. That's why we built shelters. You want to talk about the sun's heat? Go ask Jonah. Jonah experienced it firsthand. God built him, you know, gave him a gourd, had a little bit of, you know, some shade there. He was thankful for the gourd. He loved the gourd more than he loved God, by the way. There's a message that will preach on that one. But you, you understand what, what, what goes on there is that, you know, there's heat. The world needs the heat of the sun to live. All of the trees, all of the stuff that's grass, everything that's green here, we need that. or the, 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 They need that for uh, the sun for the pr- pr- process of living. We need the sun. We need vitamin D. Otherwise, we get sickly. 
Isn't that interesting? We need exposure to the sun to prevent illness. Think about that just for a minute. We need exposure to the Son of God to prevent sin in our life. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about. And again, this is just simple stuff that we can just do with simple observation in this world, just observing. And that's really what science is, is observing the truths of science, not making it up as we go along, okay? But he then takes this turn, and what he does in this next passage, this next part of the passage, uh, verses uh, 7 through um, down through verse 11, we see him talking about the Word of God, the next volume. And in this passage, he says that the law of the Lord is perfect in verse 7, converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In that very first clause, I want you to understand that he addresses four things just packed right in there. Packed right in that little verse. Now, one of the cool things that that people talk about, and and again, I'll, I'll throw out some of the, if you will, preacher secrets. If you don't know what to preach on, and all of a sudden you've got to preach, and you've got to preach like five minutes from now, just plop down, open the Bible, grab a psalm, and go for it. Why? Why is that? Because God has arranged it in such a way that it already has all his points. I mean, this one right here, has a, it's a three-point outline. But right there in, the, in, in, in verse 7, in the very first phrase, you've got a four-point outline. Well, what is he talking about? Well, what is it? It's the law. Well, whose is it? It's the Lord's. Well, what's its character? It's perfect. Well, what's its result? It converts the soul. You've got, I mean, right there you see, even with more intricacy than what we saw with the nature stuff, right there in the very first verse, talking about his law, he's just brought a whole ton more stuff. Now, obviously, there's a ton that we could go through that we're, that we're, you know, kind of glancing over in the first six verses. But in the verse, the very first verse of, se- uh, uh, of talking about the law in verse seven, it just expounds and it gets more. And then right after that, you've got five more where he talks about what happens when the law is applied. Well, what do you have there? It says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, what do we have as testimonies? If you will, scholars. If you will, and you were to take a look at the testimonies of the word of God as the way Psalm chapter 119 talks about, you realize that those testimonies are, if you will, scholars that know. They are, if you will, the theological seminaries in scripture, the testimonies of God, what he has done. They can declare it. They, they know the knowledge behind it. They understand it. They, they are, if you will, the examples of wisdom behind it. And then what do we find with that as we move on a little bit further? He says the testimony of the Lord is sure. Here, if you will, we, we, we actually have it all being put together. We, we've got a textbook. The law of God, if you will, this book, it's a textbook. You can't escape that. He talks about being a schoolmaster. There's the scholar. What was the schoolmaster teaching you from? A textbook. 
a textbook. And he says right here, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It's put down, it's put in print, it's put put together. Now I understand man's textbooks, we, we change them every year. We change them to suit whatever the political and social agenda of the day is. But not with God's word. Not with what he has put here together for us. And, and, and what do we wind up seeing here? Uh, excuse me, in the four things, not five things. The four things that we find here in the next clause, not only do we find this scholar in this textbook, but we find the teacher because we find making Making. You know, a teacher makes you do stuff. A teacher is designed to make you understand. That's their job. Their job is to to, to present the information to you and make you understand it. However they go about making you understand it is however they do it. Some are better than the others. Some are lousy at it. Some are amazing and you remember them for the rest of your life. You know, I can remember most of my teachers. Now granted, from seventh grade on, my teacher was my mom and dad because I was homeschooled. But I can remember most of my teachers' names. Because they had an impact in my life. Some of them had a negative impact, by the way. Some of them had a negative impact. But one thing that I see here that's very clear is that when we start talking about making something, that God uses his law, his word, to make you into something that you need to be. Develop you. Shape you mold you. That's what teachers do. Why do you think there's such a big, you know, uproar uproar about what teachers do right now? Because of their influence. But I will tell you this, the greatest teacher of all should be the parents. And a long time ago, parents sacrificed that. They compromised. And they said, we'll let the government handle it. And look at a brilliant job they've done. Look at a brilliant job they've done. Granted, yes, they can, uh, you know, identify, you know, at least a hundred of the 500 different genders that are out there, but they can't read or write. They can't do simple math. Take a look at some of the test scores in the, the, the local districts around this area. State of Washington. Why? Because it's no longer about academics. It's no longer about teaching. It's about making a child into a disciple of the devil, in my opinion. Uh, it doesn't fly very well, and I'm sure I'll probably take heat for that, but I don't care. Because the minute you take God out of every the equation, you're only going to have one other option. You're only going to have one other option. But, but, but what do we see here? You know what happens when there's scholars involved, when there's a textbook involved, when there's teachers involved? One of the things that we find is that there's progress. We're always talking about progress. 
The world's talking about we want to be progressive. Well, God wants you to progress too. He wants you to move forward in your Christian life. He wants you to press towards the mark. He wants you to continue to walk. He wants you to continue to run. He wants you to continue to grow. He wants those things to happen and occur in this life. So is God a progressive? Yes, but not in the way you think. Not the way the world thinks. Because look at the progress here. Making wise the simple. The simple. What we saw in the first six verses was simple. God takes and he uses his law to teach us and to show us even more about what he's just talked about in the first six verses. And he takes that simple understanding and he makes that simple understanding into wisdom. That's God. That's how he operates. That's the way he does things. Mankind tries to make wise the simple. You ever try to teach somebody that has absolutely no concept of what you're talking about? And they're that type of person that will never understand it? God supersedes that. There, there, there have been so many uh, stories that it just, it, you know, time would escape us to go through them all of individuals that were, were, were dyslexic and couldn't, you know, couldn't speak, couldn't talk, uh, illiterate, couldn't read. And then somebody shows them the word of God and, 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 and begins to show them plan of salvation. They trust God, God as their salvation and they begin to learn how to read from where? The Bible itself. And they develop from there, and then the Lord calls them to preach, and the Lord calls them to this world, and that, or this part of the world, and that part of the world, and all sorts of different things that happen and occur. It's amazing to see how God does all of that. How he takes somebody that is, if you will, of the simple mind, and makes them wise in the scriptures. Does anybody know when they just, it, it, we all know who Charles Spurgeon is. If you don't, you should. Charles Spurgeon was uh, known as the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he has the most publication, most public, publicized, if you will, published. There, that's the word I'm looking for. I knew I'd get it one of these days. Praise the Lord. Most published uh, material of any preacher ever known. His volume set, if you were to buy his volume set, which, by the way, is technically out of print and runs for about $4,000, by the way, consists of 63 volumes. 63 volumes of works. That would take up a lot of shelf space on a bookshelf. Anybody know how old he was when he trusted Christ as his Savior? Fifteen. Fifteen. You know how old he was when he pastored his first church? Sixteen. Wow. 
Could you imagine some of the 16-year-olds today being a pastor of a church? No, they're more concerned about other things. Just a simple, simple child. Simple understanding. God uses him. And then he goes from that little church that loved him and cared for him to a larger church. And that church became one of the world's, if you will, first megachurches. Pastoring a little rural church, and he moves on to pastoring over 6,000 people. In a, in a building that did not have a sound system, did not have speakers, and had a line outside the door waiting to get in. He even asked his, his normal attenders, the faithful, stay home on this Sunday so that we can have the unsaved come in and hear the gospel. We don't have that anymore. We got them lining up to see a flying Jesus for, you know, the uh, Christmas program. We got them lining up to, to hear, as I mentioned this morning, in a, in, a, in a church service, Jingle Bell Rock. That's not church. That doesn't honor God. It's all about the performance. It's all about the show. It's all about man. God doesn't need a show. Why? He already took care of that with what he created. And then he gave us a book so that we would understand him more. And you see, as you go down through this, he starts talking about all of these things. The statue of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter than also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. He talks about all the things that happens when a person really, truly grasps a hold of the very first verse. In verse 7, what the Word of God does. We begin to find the purpose behind the Bible right here. Being warned. Realizing there's consequences. All of these things that he sees, that we see here about how it's clean, how it's pure, and, and how, if you will, it enlightens a person. People are always looking for enlightenment today. Well, the only way you're going to find enlightenment is through Jesus Christ. Because there is no other light that's going to lighten you. And if it is, it's a false light from an angel of light that is making it look like light. But it's fake. It's fake. We find all of these things that the Lord puts together. Uh, and, and in this last verse, in verse 11 of this specific section... We find exactly what's going on, and he says, um, you know, what exactly is the Word of God going to do? It's going to warn. Well, how is it going to warn them, or warn people, warn the servant? Through the words. Well, who's it going to warn? It's going to warn the servant himself, the one that's chosen to serve the Lord. 
and we find, if you will, the timeliness of it, the tense, the presence. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. Not was warned, not past tense, but right now. What was written so long ago is still pertinent today. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, is representing right now. And in the keeping of them is great reward. There's blessings with that. And what do we find? We find David, the psalmist here, if you will, talking about something that is very important. Realizing what the the volume of the book of nature speaks, what the volume of his scripture speaks, we find that there is a response that man has. And he says in verse 12, who can understand his errors? Can you understand every sin that you've ever done and why you did it? Can you even name all the sins that you've ever done? He makes it very clear here. He's like, no, no, no. So what's his declaration? What's his responses? Knowing that nature is going to declare and knowing that the word of God is going to declare, what is his response? He says, cleanse me from the secret faults. And notice he kind of goes through like three little sins here. Here's another little three-point outline, if you will. What does he talk about? He talks about secret sins, secret faults. The ones nobody else knows about. God knows. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to cleanse them. Take a look at the next one. He says, keep keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins, man, those are... You ever presume something? It's almost as bad as assuming something. And what do we realize there? You can have presumptuous sins, which means you're acting as if you do know or you think you know what God really truly wants, but you don't. There's so many people that try to do right, but when they try to do right and what they think is right, it's totally wrong. Case in point, David in the ark on a cart. Bad idea from the get-go. Bad idea from the get-go. It's the right thing. Move the ark back. Wrong way to do it. Presumptuous. David thought God would be okay with that. God wasn't okay. And like I said, the party's going great right until there's a dead body. And then all of a sudden, everybody gets really somber really quickly. And there's a guy laying on the floor, dead, because he put his hand on the ark. Was he trying to do the right thing? Well, yeah, he thought the ark was going to fall. You don't think God could take care of his own ark? He presumed too much, and he put his hand out, thinking that he can help God. You're like, whoa, hold on a second. Yeah? He didn't do it right. God said, don't touch it. He meant it. He meant it. 
we get to this point where we see that, and then he says, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. People talk about there's no sin that God cannot forgive. There is a great transgression, though, that people can commit that is, well, it'll send them to hell real quick. And that's the rejection of Jesus Christ. The rejection of who he is. You know what? David did not want to be accused of not knowing who his Savior was. Three types of sin. But all of it can be taken care of by the Word of God. By listening to what's in nature, and by listening to what the Word says. And his declaration was, I want to be something changed in my life. And what does he say in verse 14? That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The words that he says and the meditation of his heart should be exactly the same thing that is echoed in nature and throughout his word. To meditate upon nature and think about how great God is. To meditate on his word and think about how great God is. To speak the same words that the heavens speak and that the word of God declares. That's acceptable in the sight of God. It's a pretty amazing thing to think about. I didn't even scratch the surface of Psalm 19, by the way. That's just a simple, hey, look at this chapter, look at this verse, look at this structure, look at this pattern, look at how God, what somebody would look at and go, "Ah, that kind of seems choppy. No, it's not choppy. It comes to a conclusion about what we see in nature and what we hear from his word. There is going to be a desire, if you will, a prayer for grace in a person's life, for mercy, for knowledge, for wisdom, for all of those things. Nature should drive us to that. His word should drive us to that. To cleanse us from those things that we need to be cleansed from. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Brother Dale, would you dismiss us with a word of prayer, please?